All right, guys, welcome back to another episode of the Day Room Podcast. Today's show is special. We got a guy that, uh, even though we were in different companies in basic training, we pretty much followed each other throughout our, our Army careers. Um, Antonio Stevenson is, is my brother. Uh, say what's up. First name, Mike. We on point today. I told you, man. You, you don't think I, I remember? <laughs> I, <laughs> All right, Tony. Um, yeah. Talk to me a little bit about um, where you're from originally. Originally from Indianapolis, Indiana. Not Minneapolis. I don't know why people get confused. But <laughs> Indianapolis, Indiana. We know what the home of it is. Basketball. Indy 500. And then I had a... Uh, actually grew up in Toledo a little bit too. That's right. I, I do remember that. Yeah. Before yeah. I joined the army. So. Okay. So you, to, from when to when were you in Indy? I left when I was 10. Okay. But we always, we always visited. We went right back and forth. Hello. That's my first uh, time going to jail from going back and forth and a little visit being a bad kid. Oh my. How old was that? How old were you then? 14. Jesus Christ. <laughs> I can't say anything because so I was, I, I I was probably, I think we're the same age. I was probably in jail at the same time. <laughs> that's a, that's a whole other conversation though. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So you, you went to high school in Toledo then? Yeah. Okay. Talk to me about Ed, that. Like, what was that experience Edward like? Drummond, Edward Drummond Libby. That school was, actually was amazing. It was a good mix of people. It wasn't like, lean on me and just a whole bunch of black people it was a good mix we uh we had so much pride in that school even to this day if somebody gets on because you know my facebook is mostly like people i actually know so somebody gets on there and start talking that shit especially about like a rival school or something like scott it's a whole argument we all like al bundy in there We're going <laughs> off about some high school stuff reliving the glory so, days huh reliving the glory days we had a ball i had a ball in high school did you you play sports in high school? Yes. Uh, of course, I played football. I was good at it. And I wrestled. Okay. I was good at it. I played basketball. I was not good at it. But I played anyway. Yeah. Um, something to keep in shape between seasons. I, I remember uh, playing basketball with you at Fort, uh, Fort Gordon. Yeah, you, I mean, you were decent. Mm -hmm. I got better. When I got older, but as a teenager, like I could jump out the gym, couldn't handle the ball worth a damn file, filing everybody. I was, I was horrible. But by the time I got in the army, I think playing with so many different people, I got way better. Yeah. I, especially I got a four steward. I was my OG out here. I ain't doing it no more, but <laughs> I was a legend. <laughs> what position did you play in football in high school? In high school? For the most part, I stayed in the secondary. I didn't want to do nothing else. They kept trying to put me on running back, but all I wanted was defense. I played, played safety, strong safety. I played different nickel packages. Um, I played a little bit of corner, but I hated it. Yeah. I, I love safety because my uh, I had family that played football, so I had some stuff I already knew and some instincts that I can read the field a little bit better. So I, I play, I play, play pretty decent. It was just, you know, playing with that street life too. So you didn't really get into it like I should have. Yeah. No, that's yeah. why I started out playing quarterback and I just got tired of getting hit. I wanted to do the hitting. So I, I switched over to defense yes. 
um, <laughs> because I was fast and taller, they tried to put me at corner. I couldn't cover worth a damn. So when, once I moved over to free safety and I had, uh, you know, room to roam and I can, I can analyze the field and watch the play develop yeah. coming from quarterback. Yeah. It made it that much easier. I, you know, I can, I can sit back and I can watch the, the quarterback go through their progressions. I can check the hot reads and I knew exactly what was going on from back there. So it made it a heck yeah. of a lot easier to a heck of a lot easier. Yeah. If I wasn't hitting them right there, I was around the ball. I almost, I ain't gonna say like a Palomalu or nothing, but I had a nose for the ball. Yes. I was always going to be there. So, and every good safety is a ball position. hawk. Huh? I said, every good safety is a ball hawk. You, oh yeah. You always yeah, know where the ball is going to be. Either I want the ball or I want your ribs. Yep. Either way, I'm happy. The only thing that I hated was if offensive linemen got to that second or third level and they're coming at me and I, I'm like, bro, <laughs> I'm not finna hit your big butt. That, the, the most trouble I had out of offensive linemen was like when uh, I had a – my problem was I would over-pursuit at times. Mm-hmm. So if I see him and I'm locked in on him, my whole vision, I just got a tunnel vision. I forgot. You got to pull a guard, and I get ear holes. Mm. Oh, man, they can take me out. And then big corn-fed dudes in the Midwest. Yeah, you just land there, and all you see is like feet running over running over your head. Now it's <laughs> over, play over with. You did. So, <laughs> but see, back yeah, when we played, it was a little different. There was no concussion protocol. If you can, If you can walk, you can run. If you can run, you can play. So. I, I know two distinct times I for sure had a concussion. I know I had it. Um, since I didn't want to play running back too much, they would put me on both sides of the ball for special teams. So on the kicking side, you know, I take off 100 miles an hour. I see this guy, I'm going to run dead into him. I hit him with everything, everything. And the next thing I remember, everybody standing over me, pulling me up and cheering me. I hit the guy and I passed out. They said I went over to the left and I just like broke the other guy in half. He just happened to be coming my way. I had no idea what was going on. I was like, yeah, I think that was that was a definite one right there. Yeah, I so I was on concussion. I couldn't tell you if I mean I don't I don't really remember. Honestly, I don't think I ever had any. I probably did, but if I, if I had to tell you, I didn't have any. I'm sure if I watched film, I could probably tell a couple of times when I did have a couple, but no, nah, I mean, back then you didn't care. You just play. Yeah. You just play. It wasn't, I, I, it, it should be addressed as far as that level. When you get to the higher levels, cause it eventually it, it's going to start messing with you. I guess they talk about CTE and other things like that. Yeah. Um, I don't, it should be addressed, but not done too much because no. the game's changed a lot, you know, and I don't, I don't like the direction that the game's going. So it's a little too hit, soft. You can, hit, you can hit somebody, you can break somebody in half and the ref's throwing a flag. It's a legal hit, but they throwing a flag because he was too violent. Right. But that's the name okay. of the game. But I also being a defensive player, it pisses me off when I see like a, a, big running back initiating contact on maybe, I mean, there's never a really a a defenseless defender, but if somebody's being held up by, by a blocker and running back will initiate contact to take that dude out, like that pisses me off. Cause it's it's the same thing. You know, you, you, 
you're about to you're running full speed and you're lower, lowering your shoulders to run a dude over that's engaged with a blocker. Mm-hmm. Like it's no different. I got, I think I got my ribs cracked. My first time I got my ribs cracked like that. He hit me dead on in the solar plex with his helmet. While you Burned were being held up? Yeah, I was trying to get, I saw him. I was trying to get around him. And I think I had went to the right and he just came, just, just tore it up. Yeah. That was practice. That wasn't even a game. God, 30, 30 years ago, man. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> so from what you said, you went to which high school? Edward Drummond Libby High School in Toledo, Ohio. Okay. So from high school, cool. did you did you join the Army right out of high school or did you do something no. different? Um, I briefly moved to Cleveland. And that's where uh, my future ex-wife was at. And I had a baby out there. And I wound up coming back and finishing my time in high school. Okay. So you, you dropped a, out a little bit? Say it again. You you what what grade were you in when you went to Cleveland? Uh, uh my senior year. I okay. left right uh the summer after my junior year, I left. That was ninety five. So from ninety five to a little bit of ninety six, I was in Cleveland. Okay. Then I came back to Toledo, finished everything up and I didn't join the army until what was it about? It was January ninety seven. The next year. Okay. I was just, just kind of, I was in, I was in the streets then. <laughs> what made you decide to join? Uh, it, it was really on the humbug, right? Cause like, there's a weird stigma with a lot of black neighborhoods that uh, the black, black people don't belong in the military. So I was, I was all for it. I was all into it. And I went over uh, my buddy house just on the humbug. And he had two recruiters in there talking to him. So in my mind, oh, you a sucker, you a fool, don't go for it, blah, blah, blah. So they turned to me. You know, I'm I'm not going for that, no. So after I had talked to the guys for a while, I had a little black guy thinking time, and I was like, damn, Tony, you're really not doing nothing. You're not in high school no more. You're you working a little BS um, uh, uh, staffing job or whatever. You're really a gang member, for real. You're like, you you you're next up for a statistic. <laughs> so... I had made the decision probably sometime in December or something like that. I had made a decision. Like I almost went Marine actually. And, um, glad I knew that, but, uh, I wanted to join in the army. And I actually, I actually requested Fort Seal. I, I didn't want no distractions. I didn't go to, um, I didn't want Jackson. They offered me Jackson first and then whatever other co-ed that they had at the time. I, I don't want to be around no girls. Yeah, what was I, the other know, one? Jackson, Leonardwood. Those are the co-ed ones, right? Yeah, okay. Leonardwood and Jackson said, were the co-ed, and Knox and Sill were the all-male. And Benning, I think. Oh, and Benning, yeah. And that's where the other guys, the AIT, came up. The other half the guys came from. Um, yeah, I, I'm Fort Sill was amazing. That was one of the greatest experiences of my life. It was hard, but it was fun. Mm-hmm. It was. I had a ball. I I would never want to redo that again. Yeah, I I mean I couldn't believe. I'm I'm with you. Fort Sill, in my eyes, was probably the best experience that I could have had going through basic training. 
I don't think mm-hmm. I would have, I don't think I would have survived anywhere else. And mainly it's because I, I had just come, I finished the college football season and went straight to Fort Still. Um, so I'm in, in the best shape that I had been in up to that point. Um, and I think if there were females around, I probably would have been, like you said, sidetracked, distracted. I'm already yeah. in shape. You know, a lot of the dudes that come to basic training are, they, they're in street shape, but you know, I'm coming off of a college football season. So I'm, I'm, I'm ready to rock. But yeah. I think that having, you know, just having the bond with the drill sergeants, not having to deal with any outside distraction, constantly only being around the fellas, it was, it was a good thing. It humbled me and, and it sat me down, you know. Um, what, what company did you go to in, in basic? At Alpha Hill? Battery. Alpha Battery 1st to 22nd, Field Artillery. Yes, sir. And I was right down the street from you at Echo 1st and 40th. I was like right across from the PX, I think. Yep, I was right up the road from you. I remember running by you guys' stupid guide on in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was... I was, was shit. Ah, oh, man, y'all... Do you remember... Um, I think it was you guys that we would always get into a cadence battle with when we were running. Probably. Yeah, or Probably. when we're marching, you remember how we used to in the breezeway, we'd be marching and trying to out cadence the other companies. Because it gets super loud in there, so you just try to yeah get. Were, were you guys at the chow hall? Somebody's company was at the chow hall. I can't remember who it was because we you know we got to go across the parking lot. Yeah, to get over there. I can't remember whose company that was over there. Yeah, we were loud. It, it was sure it was we probably us because we we were always always getting into to battles with other companies. It, and our drill sergeant... You get the drill sergeant threatening you. Like, you, you better not let them fucking outdo us. Exactly. <laughs> and we had a crazy dude. He... Drill Sergeant Pridgen. He reminded me of um, Damon Wayans in Major Pain. He was just oh. like that dude. He was crazy. This dude... You remember how they used to have the drill sergeant Olympics or whatever where the drill sergeants would... They would do PT against each other. I don't know if you if you remember that, but our they did it over by our company and Fridgen, this dude used to run like a 10 minute, barely over 10 minute two mile. He used and and not even be tired. And that's like Olympics. Yeah, dude Shit. was wild, man. He was crazy. And he, you know, he would come and always we knew that it was about to be chaotic if once he came to do PT that morning. Like drill sergeant Chastain was our older, he was our senior drill, so we loved when he did PT because it was hard, but it wasn't like over the top. Pridgen wanted to see how many people he could make throw up and kill. <laughs> <laughs> so, and I, I wasn't a long distance runner, you know. Being uh, a football player, we don't run miles, you know. We're sprinting, so the first probably first three or four weeks with him. I thought, you know, I'm not going to make it. But by the time we got to like February, now, I, you know, he he showed me how to pace myself. And now I can do two miles and three miles with no problem. But, uh, mm-hmm. you know, and, and actually kind of keep him in my sight as he's running. But, yeah, but I do remember you guys um, being the only other wild company that was uh, at Fort Sill when we were there we had a lot of texas boys i in, think that was the problem in your company we had a lot of guys from texas and florida 
And I, when I say these guys is fighting every day, you know how the um, how the drill pads are made, and uh, each platoon was kind of like on each side. You got to take the stairs. Mm-hmm. These guys are like running down the stairs, running up on guys and fighting them left. I mean, it was like it, it was crazy. I was like, you got you got ops and basic training. How is that? <laughs> so th- those guys was wild, and we never got in trouble for that. That was weird. Yeah, it, nothing came of it. It wound up fighting and it was over with. Yeah, so, I don't oh. think I don't think we ever. I mean, we used to do some wild stuff. One dude used to mess up our floor. He'd get up in the middle of the night and and mess up the floor after we buff it, before, you know, because you want it to be shiny when the drill sergeant comes in in the morning. That wasn't going to happen to us. Oh, no. This dude would get up in the middle of the night and, do, you know, have on his, his uh, PT shoes on the floor and scuff the floor so the drill sergeant would see that damn near every day. And one day we picked this dude up in his mattress and put him out in the in the uh, stairwell and locked him out. Mm. And nobody got in trouble. I mean, the drill sergeant came, he was like, he saw the bed, the the mattress missing and dude was out in the breezeway. And, <laughs> and uh, I don't know if you guys, um, uh, uh, room was made like ours. You know, you had the different rows. Yeah. Then in the front, there was a tape line and they had the podium right there. And to the left was the drill sergeant's office. The no-go but zone. on the right side, there was a back door. was basically at the drill sergeant's door. Yeah. So anything from that tape and forward was like glass. Like our side was clean. It was it was nice looking. It was it was waxed. But on the drill sergeant's side it was straight glass. Mm-hmm. We had an asshole, right? I can't remember as a white guy. I can't remember his name. So we decided to pick his him while he was asleep, pick his bed up. And put his bed at the drill sergeant's door. So that morning, when the drill sergeant tried to come in the door, he couldn't because the bed was in the way. <laughs> oh, he went ape shit on that guy. Oh my, he had um, he made him uh clean a five ton with a toothbrush. Oh hell no! <laughs> that all it was a good nasty dirty uh, uh five ton too. I can't remember that guy's name, and he calmed down after that though. We got his ass. That's wild. <laughs> so, any memorable aside from the fights and stuff like that? Anything memorable uh, in basic that you look back on? <clears throat> I remember my birthday was during basic training. I, I don't know who I told. I shouldn't have told any damn body. Uh, <clears throat> and it got around to the drill sergeant. So needless to say, they waited till we got to uh to the child hall and they left me because I had to do KP the rest of the day. That was my birthday gift. Wow. I rem- I, I specifically remember that because the next day, that's cause I had to walk back by myself. I had to figure it out. It's dark as hell out there. I ain't from here. So um, but that next day, that's when we took our basic training pictures. I should have I should have grabbed it. Because it literally says on the date, February 7th. My birthday is February 6th. So I remember that one crazy. I was so lost. And that was, I you were no, 19 I, I, then, right? At that point, you were uh-huh. 19, 19 years old then? I just turned 20. February 6th, I turned 20. Okay. Mm-hmm. I was grown, grown. <laughs> and then from Fort Sill, we uh, we link up, catch the damn plane. 
to uh, Augusta. Doggone Fort, mm-hmm. Fort Gordon. Yep. Do you remember that night we got there? It was a four-day weekend, wasn't it? We got there. They gave us our barracks, yeah. our shitty barracks. Why, why, why would they do us like that? They didn't know who the hell they was fucking Nope. <laughs> <laughs> and I've, I've kind of talked a little bit about uh, about my time at Fort Gordon in the past episode, but um, I, I don't think anybody can understand that you just sent a bunch of dudes that were at an all-male basic training into Fort Gordon where it's, we had an all-male barracks across from the females I don't, I we honestly, smell the women. yes, I don't think that like, they literally would smell the women. Like, what the fuck? Yeah. Remember that first formation? It was like, it was like five in the morning. It's dark as hell. And all you smell, I remember herbal essence was like big then. So all you smell is that, that shampoo. And, uh, and we're in formation. Just they, the drill sergeant, shut your ass up. Like, bro, you have, you, you have no idea. We just went through eight, nine weeks with no females and, now all I smell is perfume and shampoo. Like, yeah, you're out of your damn mind. This, I think they knew what was going on a little bit because, you know, they put us all in class together. Yeah. And, and they made our own specific class that they separated us from everybody. So they knew what was going on. They used to love us, though, because they used to try to smoke us. I mean, we fresh out of basic. Yeah. We, we damn near, we damn near fresh out of ranger school. Like, you wasn't going to. It, it wasn't gonna work. And they every hard single smokers, it didn't work. I think we might have had maybe three people that came from Fort Jackson. Everybody else was Knox, Benning, or um, or Sill. You, there's and nothing Seal, you could yeah. do to us. Who, who was like the main little core guys? It was it was me, you, Floyd, Kemp, the boy Kemp, Downs. Yep. And a little and a little fuck boy Hall. <laughs> You didn't like Hall? I wanna oh, that's stuff. right. I, I wanna, I wanna, huh? I yeah, I remember you had beef with Hall. Yeah, but we had who was the the, he, the country white dude it's, that was it's, with it's us? Like, huh? Who was the country white dude that was with us? Remember, he used to play ball with um, us. He knew stats about everything, yes. didn't he? Yes. Like we could ask him, like who won the the, the hockey championship in nineteen forty seven? He had named it. Name it. Dude, I think he, he was from Kentucky. Played, I can't remember his name. He played ball with us. He sucked, but he could shoot free throws forever. He could shoot damn near 100 in a row. Mm-hmm. I don't remember that guy's name. Nah, yeah, he, he was cool as hell, man. It was him, and there's another older white guy. I think he was a crackhead. And he, uh, all his teeth was messed up. I mean, he eat candy. He got to yes. sit on like a certain part of his mouth. <laughs> we used to get on his ass about that. But he got his teeth fixed. He wanted to be in a holdover. Yes, I remember. He wasn't old, though. I, I know exactly who you're talking about. He wasn't old. He was just, I mean, just country he as fuck. Like 30 or something like that. Yeah, he was just country as hell. I, I mean, yeah, when we're 20 or 19, 20, he, that does seem old. But yeah. I, I know exactly yeah. who you're talking about. He did get his teeth fixed. And he, um, yeah, he was he was cool as hell, too, though. But it's funny that uh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I was gonna say I I, I sent you the pictures because I still have all of the pictures that we took at Fort Gordon together. Um, we we were we were a wild bunch, and wild we got bunch. away with so much stuff. Like we we, but we got away with so much stuff, man. Like we should be in trouble. 
The only only drill sergeant that really got really punished me was uh, I remember drill sergeant Ziggler, the big white dude. Mm-hmm. I don't know if he didn't like me or what, but I got in trouble with him twice. I um, one time was with the same girl. Um, matter of fact, that girl lives in Savannah. She's from Cleveland, but she stayed in Savannah. The little short, dark skinned girl named yeah. Arisha Jones. That is my dog. We still to this. I literally work right down the street from her now because I work at the port now. But he, uh, one time he uh, punished me. He made me get all the sand out the volleyball court. I had to fill all the sandbags, and in the backyard, I had to spell "I love you." And then he came and inspected it. And then in the front yard, I had to make a sand cast. <laughs> but I had to, yeah, I had to dig it all up with this real long um, shovel. But I had to hold the end of the shovel. So we talking summertime in Augusta. I'm burning up. That shit took me all day. And, uh, yeah, I don't even know why I was in trouble that time. But the second time I was in trouble with him was with the girl, Arisha. We in the, we in the field. And over in Gordon Field doing something, and uh, he walked up on us. <laughs> he really didn't catch us. He catched, he caught somebody else smoking cigarettes. But we were like right around the corner from the guy. So, and he had this thing, he go like incognito, he put his regular BDU cap on. So you wouldn't notice. Yeah. So he was a big old white dude. He bigger than all of us. So we could see him a mile away. So I just, we man. got, oh my, we got, I'm all right, go ahead. I was just going to say, I, I, I just remember, man, from the first day that we got there, and our, our female drill sergeant, she was from what? Trin- she was from Trinidad, I think. Our drill sergeant. That was a love-hate relationship with yep, her. Yep, She hated she, us, she, but she loved us. She liked me, but she hate. yeah. This lady made me babysit her kids. She made me wash her car. That's fine. Like, and she waited. I took all these notes in AIT. And right when we took our final, she took my notes. She, um, that first PT test we took when we got there, she made me flunk it on purpose. Again, we coming fresh out of basic training. I can run 90,000 miles. I'm doing my push-ups. I remember her voice. It's like, 21, 22, 22. And she kept saying it. And I got pissed off and I stood up. And uh, she went off on me after that. She was on my ass ever since then. Yeah, that she was loved funny. us though. They, she, it they, was weird because she wasn't that cute, but she had a body. But then she had hairy legs. Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't know. She smelled I'm weird. Should I like this? She smelled weird to me. I was just like, I don't know, man. Yeah. <laughs> but. Well, that wasn't your flavor. That wasn't your flavor anyway. Shut the hell up. <laughs> you know what your flavor was. Shut up. Man, we used to get on you about that. We used to try, man. Like, come on, man. Just go ahead. You'd be like, man. No, no, no. Uh-uh. <laughs> nah, she ain't. My man, flavor was from the West Coast. If I, I just didn't. It didn't matter. It, it just so happened that all of the chicks from the West Coast that we was there with were white. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I can't. I can't do nothing about that. I don't knock you at all, and that's that's truly your flavor. I mean, you real with that shit. I can't. We used to get on you about it, but really, we just give you shit about it. But for real, ain't ain't no love lost in it. That. Well, that's your flavor, hell. As we get going forward, um, once we left Gordon, I, I we'll talk about that. You noticed the difference when we got to Korea. So, 
that's we'll, we'll get there. But um, do, do you remember that when we first got to um, when we first got to the company there at Gordon, they never took our civilian clothes. Like they were, you know, they briefed us on all the phases. They never took our civilian clothes. So from day one, we were phase five. I loved it. Yeah. I'm like, oh, y'all done, y'all done messed up. <laughs> y'all done messed up. We we figured out how to get liquor. And then Kemp met that civilian chick. Yeah. <laughs> we're driving her yeah. car around Augusta. Her, yeah. <laughs> I forgot about that. Oh, man. Kim was that dude. I like I like Kim, man. Yeah. Kim Kim was dope. Him like and Kip. Downs, Kip man. And Downs. Those two dudes. I got I mm-hmm. I wish I could find them, man. They the the coolest dudes ever. Now, um I'm pretty sure Kemp went to Korea with us, didn't he? Yes. Uh actually a lot of them went to Korea with us, but the thing was, most of them got sent to uh two ID. Mm. That's right. And uh it was I think you was at Seoul. They sent me to the hump. I think the dude Floyd was in uh Seoul too. No, I think. if you remember, so now yeah, we, we go from Gordon. Now we both end up in Korea together. I no, remember mm-hmm. I lived in the barracks right next door to you at Humphreys. We was in the same battalion. You was in a fifty second medical battalion, but I was in the company below it. No, I was in the cab. Five six I was in the oh, cab. That's right. Uh, so who who was in the fifty second medical battalion? Somebody was, because that's where we used to get our uh our comsec from. Yeah, I don't I don't remember who it was, but um no, I I went okay. to I went to Six Cav, and then you were a couple either next door or a couple barracks down. Uh, on Humphreys. that whole area was a cab. Yeah, everything painted red and white. I used to, I used to hang out. With them guys tough man. You thought I was in the cab? Yeah, I got the picture I, of you in our was, barracks, me and you coming from the chow hall. I was a real live alcoholic. I'm gonna even lie, like. <laughs> A real alcoholic, like, but you what you drink till you throw up, then you feel better, you drink again. Man, Korea was was ridiculous, and so I don't think I remember in processing with you because we went on leave from Gordon. I I went home. I went home for like three weeks. Um, you might have got. That's exactly why you got back before me. Yeah. So that took almost a whole month. Yeah, I wasn't trying to stay home because I knew I. they were like, how many days you want to take? And immediately when I was calling people, I'm like, yeah, I'm going to be home. And they were like, oh, man, we we about to do um, – nope, three weeks. Can I take three weeks? They're like, yeah, you you don't have to take leave at all if you don't want to. So I took three weeks, and and right on that that last week was when the trouble started to come. And I'm like, thank God I'm flying out. Now, I remember going to San Francisco to catch my flight to Korea and uh, getting there and just feeling out of place. It was a four-day weekend. I think it was Labor Day. And mm-hmm. I flew in Wednesday night into Osan. And I literally got down there probably about a week and a half later. Yeah. Um, I got there the night that Princess Diana died. Okay. Which is weird. I was in the hotel. I didn't have a. Uh, I didn't have nothing yet. I was in the. Um, why do I remember this? The dragon the hotel was called the Capitol. 
Oh, and, and, and so. And, I was going to step out that night, too. I was going to just try to figure out a career. And I remember looking out the window. It was a club across the street. Why are these Koreans stomping out another Korean? I said, man, dudes get stomped out all over the world, huh? So I was like, let me just stay put there. I stayed the night. I ain't going nowhere. And then you came, you came to Humphreys like a couple days later, right? From there. Cause you were, you were at yeah, Seoul. Yeah. After, after yeah. I, and I had that whole week to kind of acclimate, but so let me give you some background of when I got there. It was, it was a four day weekend. And I remember checking into my room and my roommate wasn't there. And this dude didn't have mm-hmm. anything in his room. He had the green wool blanket. And I'm thinking, man, what the hell kind of setup they gave me? You know, it was more, I felt more comfortable in AIT than I do here. And I dropped my stuff and I was exhausted. I'm jet lagged. You know, I had been going nonstop at home with all my friends for a few weeks. So I just go Mm -hmm. to sleep. And I wake up Friday afternoon to just music all up and down the hall. My roommate is in there. And, and this dude, he was an E5. And I wake up and he's sitting on his bed looking at me. He guys, he has a bottle of Seagram's gin in one hand. And we all drink this. Yep. And a can of pineapple juice in the other hand. And he's just pouring it in this giant pitcher. And he's drinking out of the pitcher. And he's like, You want something? And I had never that was oh, what do we drink? We we drank rum, but it wasn't Captain Morgan when we were at, at uh Gordon. Oh, Bacardi Limon. That's what it was. We were we used to drink Bacardi Limon all the time. Oh uh, yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. yeah. So I I'm like, you know, Seagram's gin is for old dudes. I'm not messing with that. And he made he made me a pitcher, busted out a whole nother can of pineapple juice and another bottle and filled it up, gave me a pitcher. And bro, it was from that day on, I think I stayed drunk through the whole year if we weren't in the field. <laughs> 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 like and up until he made e6 we were roommates and uh he i was still 19 i think at the time and he mm-hmm. he made sure that he always left something for me in the room if he dipped out he had a girlfriend on the other side of post and um in the in my barracks so i pretty much had my own room most of the time because he was gone unless his girlfriend was in the field then he'd be back but we didn't go to the field too much. Um, I think we only went twice the whole time. Because um, a lot of times, you know, I was in a medical unit. So a lot of times those medics, um, they'll get shipped off to like Hovia Castle for like some weird little rotation. Then they'll come back. So we only actually did two field problems. That's it. I don't know what the hell was I doing at this unit. I was really just chilling. <laughs> and, and you know what? I do remember um, one, maybe two times uh, your Sigo would come over and hang out with, with my Sigo. And we would, I would be in there filling up the, um, what were the, the tapes, I, you know, redoing the comp for the month. And kick something. Yeah. The kick 13. Kick 13. Kick 13, kick 19, one of them. He looked at me and he was like, hey, would you mind coming over and uh, teaching our guys how to do that? I think that's when I, when I saw that you were there. And that, that day I look over, I'm like, oh, that's my dude. And 
trying to remember when the first night we went out. Because I, I think the first night that we hung out in Korea, once we linked back up, we went to Osan. Probably did. That's only the spot we want to go because it's the Air Force area. Yes. So we want to go out and hang out there first. Do we have some girls with us? No. No, oh, I don't think we no? did. No, I don't think we did. Okay. It was it was you and a, and a couple dudes from your unit. I mean, we all took the bus, so I don't think we had any any girls with us. Um, okay. Yeah, I really the Osan trips. I can hardly remember. I remember going to like they had the Omega party pool parties, and I remember going there. But everything after that, like at night, I don't. I I rarely recall any Osan trips. I, um, I think I vaguely re- remember one trip. Did you kick somebody's dog? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I was always doing some dumb shit. Oh my god! <laughs> we uh, we we had um, it was some uh, younger white guy that was in the cab. I can't remember this guy's name. He really loved wrestling. He used to always talk like Hulk Hogan and everything. He was kind of swole. He was um. If I was 20, he probably was right at 18. Oh, Gagne. He was kind of Gagne. The the thing is, though, once he got drunk, his vocabulary started going down. So once you start hearing him say, I don't give a fuck, it's it's time to go. Yeah. And I remember we were trying to get back to post, and he was punching all the rear view mirrors. So they called the uh, Korean police, which they can't do shit to us. But the MPs came out. And knowing the MPs to be kind of cool with it, they'd be like, all right, all right, we'll take you back. You know, just go cool off or whatever. But he wanted to fight. I think they took him in the alley and beat his ass. Because <laughs> we didn't see him for a little while. When he came back, he was bandaged up. He was real calm. Like, they tore his ass up. Because <laughs> he gets real violent when he gets drunk. I was like, dude, we, could, we saw it. We couldn't help him. We was like, man, look. <laughs> yeah first off i'm underage I, so i'm i'm going this way i think i was of age though because korea was 20 20 yeah but i hadn't turned 20 yet yeah. yeah so that was above our pay grade yeah power to you buddy what um so you guys didn't go to the field that often and we went all the time every every freaking field exercise that was needed that needed retrans we had to go and plus our um all of our officers were pilots so they needed to be out there um but while we were gone you guys were holding it down like what was going on when y'all weren't in the field just medical stuff i was nothing but support like Whatever they do on some 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 type of training, they do something in the hospital, doing something at the motor pool, just little, just a lot of mean mean meaningless tasks. It, it was it was college, man. It was it wasn't even that serious. Like I'm hanging out in the female barracks all the time, going out and partying. Um, man, and I'm sitting there really really thinking about it. I was, I didn't do nothing. Outside of partying and drinking, um, I had learned a little bit about the job. I didn't do no retrans at all. Um, 
my job was super basic. I just had those radios in the vehicle. I didn't have any other. Uh, you know, of course, I was, you know, our first duty station, we dog on combo chiefs. Right. So I wish I had got that job later because I would have knew the position that I was in, how important that position was. I took it super lightly. I bullshitted with it. I could have done way better. But see, I was fortunate, man. I was so fortunate that I. I got to a unit that relied on the radios. Um, that's, I had like really, really good leadership that was no nonsense. You know, a lot of these guys, they're, they're old school. You know, they were trained by Vietnam guys. So they passed that on to me and I was, I was excited. I, I don't think I made corporal that trip, but, um, you know, I was getting promoted, I, learning our job, like everything that we learned in AIT, um, I felt confident that I, you know, okay, I learned that and I'm actually employing it. And it's weird too, because when I got, when I, once I left Korea and got there with a bunch of guys um, that had just come from Gordon, they didn't know anything. I'm like, mm-hmm. y'all, y'all didn't learn this shit. <clears throat> but I feel uh, fortunate. It was, uh, uh, Korea was, as far as leadership was the opposite. The leadership was pretty shitty. I think we had talked about that before when I was there. He was kind of excited. He was talking about it. Um, Korea was 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 crappy. No one knew who I'm supposed to work under. So I had a motor pool sergeant, NBC, and um, somebody else. They all fighting for me to be under them. So um, as far as the leader, everybody was an alcoholic in that in that in that uh, company, except for the captain. The captain used to get pissed. Even the first sergeant. The first sergeant was some old school uh, special forces medic. And we turned him on to soju. We had him hula hooping in the middle of the street. Wow. So <laughs> everybody was alcoholic. The whole We run in the whole formation reeking of soju. Um, it, it was, it was, it was slick dumpster fire. Yeah. But, <laughs> but it was fun, you know. But again, I wish I had got that position later, and I, I could have really took off with it. I could have done some bigger things. With Any regrets besides um, that in Korea? In Korea, honestly, I should have hit more girls. <laughs> that was the biggest That's problem. <laughs> dead ass. That was my only. That was my only regret. I should have went crazier, but I didn't. So, yeah, I'm I'm not going to speak on that part. <laughs> but I'm, I'm a single guy. So, you know, I, no, I mean, I get it. I'm I was single then, so it's OK. But um, I, I could tell you and I wish we could go back and just watch. You would have seen a, a different Shaq because uh, what you said, and I know you guys always made. Yeah, phone call came. Oh, no worries. You you always made note of my my so called preference at Fort Gordon, but what you didn't see when we mm-hmm. got to Korea was the variety. And most of the most of the the girls that I hung out with in Korea were black, but again, they just happened to be from the West Coast, and that's I felt more comfortable. I didn't feel comfortable talking to girls from the South because they, you know, I, I quote unquote talk white. 
So they didn't. They yeah, weren't you feeling know, me. I got that same that same damn thing. Oh, you talk white. Nah, I just paid attention to school a little bit. That's all. Yeah. So, but yeah. that's that's why, like, when you know, I got to Georgia, it was it was one of those things. Like, you know, I'm seeing chicks with gold teeth, and you and Hall, that was y'all's thing. I'm like, I'm not. Uh. Uh-uh. <laughs> She she I don't understand what she's saying, so I'm gonna go over here. <laughs> but if you would have paid close attention, you would have seen a different a you know, different that speed. West Coast flavor is different. Like when I sit back and think about it, I had a there was a white dude that was in my section. He was from Chico. Okay, northern. Cool as shit. Love that guy. He was cool as hell, man. But everybody from I got a guy now where I work at now, he's he's from um He's from one of them cities close to L.A. I can't remember the name of it. A young guy named Will. Their whole flavor is different. When you talk to them, they, everything about them is different. Um, it's pretty cool. But sometimes you probably do feel like an alien. You come into an area like this, it's, it's just so, it, it, it's very different. It's very different. And, I mean, you got you to gotta understand, like like what you said about going to Toledo and being around a, a mixed you know, group of kids that you went to school with coming from Indianapolis. It's, it, you know, growing up in Sacramento between Sac and the Bay, it's the same thing. Like I didn't know anything different. I, you know, I had Tongan friends. I had Samoan friends, Vietnamese friends, Filipino, white, Mexican. It, mm-hmm. I didn't know anything different. Everybody just was everybody. You know, if you weren't from my side of, of town, that's when I didn't like you. It didn't matter in anything else. Um, and that's just how, that's just how it was. You know, you, I mean, you did have the sub, the suburbs where you feel out of place cause it's not as diverse, but in my neighborhood, it was, it was about as diverse as it gets. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and that's how it is on pretty much up and down California. Some of the smaller towns, you, you know, you, you got some, some racist stuff going on and there ain't, it ain't as diverse. But for the most part, in the bigger cities, everybody is is chilling with everybody. Yeah, yeah. I never seen no racism on the West Coast. I can't even imagine racism on the West Coast. It's it's the corniest stuff ever. Like it's to, way too diverse. To see a Confederate flag here in Arizona is hilarious to me. You know, especially having lived in all over the South: Alabama, Kentucky, Tennessee, Georgia. It's it's hilarious to me to see somebody born and raised out here on this side of the Mississippi with a Confederate mm-hmm. flag. It it just it makes me laugh. I don't know. That's retarded. But it's a, of course it's a regular thing here. But over there, it's like, why? Oh, where are you from? Well, and even when I when I lived there, um, you know, living in Pooler because it was a newer area, you still had all them plantation homes. While people did fly that flag. It it didn't mean what a lot of people on this side of the country thinks it means. You know, my neighbor would come out and if the newspapers that they threw started to kind of pile up if I was in the field or something, would go and throw them in the trash. And mm-hmm. he, you would think this dude was a Nazi. But, you know, he he when I when he said, you know, when he would say, This is this is my family's heritage, this is my family's history. I actually mm-hmm. believed him. He didn't, there wasn't a racist bone in his body. Like, you know, we would sit and have beers it, it, on our property line. But out I here, it's just it. funny. 
we had a dude named uh Ooten. Um, when I was here at Fort Stewart, it's a guy named Ooten. He's from North Georgia. He's from the mountains. He's he's never seen a, a black person in his life if if they weren't on TV. And uh, so when he was around us, he used to do certain things that if you don't really look at the big picture, you think, oh, he's old racist. He's just trying to, and he wasn't. The man was like curious because now he's like in arm's length of us. So he'll look at us and he'll ask questions. And like I had a buddy named Kent. He was from Montgomery, Alabama. And as you can see what happened in Montgomery, how they get down. So he automatically like he about to get on him. I'm like, hold on, man. Like he really don't know. He's really asking a genuine question because he doesn't really know much about black people. Right. He wasn't racist. He actually was a pretty cool guy. He and, just didn't grow up in an environment that had black people. So it was just really different to him. I think that, that that's the one thing. Having lived in the South for uh, a number of years, I think that's the one thing that is uh, is a common misconception is like that it is deep rooted. And a lot of times, you know, the, it, some of those people in those small towns that have never seen any other minor, any sort of minority or anybody that looks different than what's in their town of 300 or 400 people, uh, they mm-hmm. just don't understand. And they've been told one thing until they meet somebody that's from the outside. Then they're like, Oh, okay. You, you kind of cool. I, I get it. Um, but it's uh you know it's you don't understand it until you experience somebody like that and i'll tell you a story my son i think he was probably just born cuz my son was born at stewart and we were going to tybee island i think maybe he was like 7 or 8 months old we were going to tybee island and trying to find somewhere to to set up you know my michaela my daughter my oldest daughter was like 3 or 4 so she's excited to get to the beach and um, my kid's mom was kind of waiting for, I told her to just kind of wait for me at the edge. I'm going to go find a spot and then I'll wave you over. So I look over and I see this family packing up and all of the dudes, uh, all shaved heads, swastikas tatted on their arms, their chest. And I'm like, Oh my God, you know, I don't, I, I want to go over and ask them. And again, I'm coming from California, so I don't think about anything like that. But if I see something that like, these people got swastika because I only know what I saw on TV and it's probably some people I don't want to talk to, but Mm -hmm. they saw me looking around and one of the guys was like, Hey, uh, we're getting ready to leave. And I'm like, man, is this a setup? (laughs) You know, is he trying to get me and my family over here so I can kick my kids or something? And literally like Michaela saw my daughter saw me walking over there and she runs over and she just hugs their daughter and they're playing. And it was like nothing. You know, so I, I talked to the dude and um, the kid's mom, she's setting up the blanket, getting the baby down. And as I'm talking to the guy, he was like, you know, um, I know you see these, these tats. These are our prison tats and they're, a, you know, a time in our life that we all regret. And apparently those guys, they weren't family members, but they all met in prison, got out. And now they're, you know, they have started a company and they're just doing better. And so... Mm-hmm. That from that moment there, I was just like, you know, you cannot judge a book by its cover. You you really un, until somebody shows you something different, you got to treat them just like you want to be treated. And right. I thought that was right. awesome. And and seeing the kids like the girls, they 
My daughter just ran up and hugged this little girl, and this little girl hugged her back. They didn't see anything different. They didn't think anything, you know. Mm-hmm. And from that point on, I never really – I always tried to make a point to speak to everybody um, out there and and then just gauge their reaction, you know. But out here, it's a little different. You – if if they got the tattoo or they got that flag, ninety nine percent of the time, that's just what they're thinking. Right. Yeah. But you I mean, know, a lot of kids are not. We 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 are taught to be racist. Uh, it's not in us naturally to just hate white or hate black or whatever. It's just how how we how we're brought up and our life experiences, and we just we 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 take it to heart. Um. I also worked in the uh, prison system for 11 years. So um, it's a different world. It's so different than out here. It's like when you get in, you almost have to take sides. So if you're white, you have to do this. You have to do that. If you're black, you have to be this or be that. And But when you talk to a lot of them guys, they don't want to do that stuff. Right. They, they, they don't want to live that type of lifestyle. It's, it, it, it's horrible, man. It's survival. So, and, you know. Something you can yeah. understand, it, you know, you you do what you got to do to make the time go by, and then you get the hell out. Yeah. Now, since we're on the subject of Georgia, um, when did you get to Fort Stewart? Um, September nineteen ninety eight. Okay. And how long had you been there? before we linked back up because you stayed there until you got out right yeah it was a couple years actually wait when did when did you get out 2003 november okay so i'm trying to think of when i got there ah no you know what i think you might have already been out of the army when I got there. Really? Yeah. Yep. That was a long, long time then because I was at Fort Stewart for like five and a half years. Yeah. So from Korea, when we were there, I went to Fort Lewis. And then from mm-hmm. Fort Lewis, I reclassed to air traffic control. Um, went to Fort Rucker for training and then Fort Campbell. That's so weird because that's what I reclassed to. 93 Papa. Okay. So that was Fort Rucker. Ops. That's crazy, and they, they but they didn't let me go. I was supposed to go to Fort Riley, uh, the airfield in Fort Riley. That's what they was going to send me. Okay, and uh, Fort Stewart pulled pulled my damn order. That's wild. <laughs> yeah, it, <laughs> literally following each other's career. But I so yeah. I reclassed, went to Rucker, and then from Rucker went to Campbell. Um, Campbell did a couple of deployments, and then I went back to Korea. And no, yeah, from there, from that trip to Korea, my second time, um, I went to Stewart. How'd that second trip to Korea go? I went back to Humphreys. So you already know. (laughs) And I was an NCO when I went. So um, I had a car. Um, 9-11 had happened, so they had a curfew. Like, remember before, we didn't really have a curfew. Yeah. So. That the second trip, um, and I was married, had a couple of kids. Actually, 
I, I had one one baby. Um, so I got there, and it was just different. I, you know, I'm, I'm a little bit more adult, and I I wanted to go and see the things that I didn't get a chance to see because I told you with the, when we were there the first time, man. We were wild coming. I mean, AIT was wild, and then we just carried it on in Korea, and I really it was a blur. So I wanted to make sure that the the second time I went there, I I made sure that I I saw things that I didn't get a chance to see because I didn't know if I was going to be back. Uh, yeah. And I even I even brought my wife and daughter over for a month because I I. We had lost a baby. I was leaving Fort Campbell and on the way back to drop um, her and my daughter off at, in Nevada, uh, she was probably 21 weeks pregnant and we lost a baby on the mm. way there driving. Um, so waited a little bit and my commander and first sergeant, they were like, you know, are you, they were, they gave me leave to go back home. And I was like, you know, let me get them over here. So they were like, yeah, you know, bring them over. Uh, they paid for um, a whole month in the Dragon Hill Lodge in, in Seoul. And so we just just chilled for a month in Korea. And then um, when they went back to the States, um, I I wasn't working at the, air, the airfield, so I was a tactical controller. So I, I did do a lot of... Um, I did go to the field a lot, but when I wasn't in the field, like I was just driving all up and down the peninsula, just trying to see things that I didn't get a chance to see the first time. Yeah. But it was, I was uh, ugh, Camp Humphreys had changed a lot from that, from 98 to the time when I went back, it had changed a bunch. They had built a new hotel on the property. Um, mm. Remember the gym, the field house, they renovated that field house. So it was like bigger basketball courts, better weights. All, I mean, it was crazy. The NCO club was, was still the same. I was told that uh, that's the main post now. Seoul yes. is no longer the uh, the main place no more. Camp Humphreys is. Camp Humphreys is, and they, they've made it bigger. I actually, I want to go back. Um, you know, I just want to take a trip back there. I'm, I'm going to try to go and see all of the places that I had gone while I was in the Army. But Camp Humphreys is definitely a place that I want to go back to. And I will. Do you still do you still have that picture where you was trying to cross the border into North Korea? I do somewhere, <laughs> and it it's funny too that you bring that up because of the kid that um that ran across recently. They just sent him back. North Korea yeah. just gave him back to the U.S. But um, yeah, I I, I have that picture somewhere. I thought That's it was hilarious. funny though. Like I'm one of a handful of of troops that actually went to North Korea just in that in that yeah. blue house in the blue room yeah yeah that's crazy yeah I remember looking out that dude what are you doing you kind of had like a little ditty bot like you just like <laughs> <laughs> you know me man I was stupid North Korea was it's stupid. an international incident it's all right it ain't no big deal <laughs> <laughs> I, I was an idiot man I didn't know any better <laughs> so we definitely Made our mark in this world, bro. I, I think about if I had a better memory, just writing a book. But I, my, my memory is shit. And it's when I sit down and have these conversations that I, I kind of 
briefly remember a lot of the things that happened. Uh, you guys remember my stupidity more than me, but <laughs> <laughs> we might have had a real you in the time or two. Man, I you know I want to get um, Downs and Kemp on here to talk more about uh, AIT, and I don't know if they can really talk about it too much, but we yeah, yeah it was wild. But um, wow, wow. so. After so ninety eight to ninety or to two thousand three at Stewart. Um, well, now what 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 company did you go to at Fort Stewart? They put me in a second brigade. I was on a brigade level then. Okay, so you still weren't messing with radios, huh? You still weren't really doing your job. Oh, I was absolutely doing my job then. Absolutely, um, I was a brigade, and I also straddled division every now and again too. Um, I was the uh, retranslator, commsec custodian, shop foreman. I had a job. I had a job. Jobs, like you know, I was. I still only had my E four, um, because they would not promote you. You know, with a thirty one uniform, once you pass E four, you have to hold certain positions. Mm-hmm. It's not just getting ranked like a tanker or something like that. So, brigade knows that. So they're not, they're not going to let you get promoted. And I used to see that with, like, I used to see E7s with 20, 25 years. And I think guys must be a piece of shit. It's not the case. We just don't get ranked like that. But you work way above your rank. I've, uh, again, I'm, again, I'm a ComSec custodian. I've sat in meetings with, with uh, com- different types of commanders, generals telling them what to do with their soldiers. Because once you get into the, the higher level, because, you know, for every MOS, there's a number behind it. Right. For every number, that's a level of knowledge or whatever you're supposed to have. So I'm above the, I'm, I'm a way above a 10 level. I'm more of like a 40 level. Um, I'm holding down E8 position, O3 position, W4 position. And successfully for years. And, um, oh, I definitely... I definitely worked. Did they, <laughs> did they, they couldn't even at least pin you corporal since you're in a leadership role? They wouldn't do it. Wow. They wouldn't do it. They would not let me go and they would not promote me. I had one guy that was going to make sure I had got promoted, but he wanted to go on a medical leave. And it seemed like once he left, we were thrown to the woods. The, um, the company hated us because we wouldn't come down to the company to do company stuff. We are brigade staff. We have stuff to do. Right. So they hated it. Like, you know, and for a long time, the highest rank we had in uh in our S6 was the E5. We couldn't keep nobody there because brigade is so demanding. They're basically, hey, make this singars float. We don't know how, but we need you to do it. <laughs> we had um we had a captain that came briefly. It's the first time I ever seen somebody in the army get fired. Like he, we were trying to tell this guy, hey, this needs to be this, that, and the third. But he's know, I'm a captain. Rah, rah, rah. I said, okay, buddy. They ate him up and spit him out. So, um, and I knew it was going to be work. From the day I walked up to that unit, the placemat says, send me. And they didn't play. <laughs> so I said, what? I got the career. I got the Fort Stewart in September, December, uh, December the same year, intrinsic action. Kuwait. 
It's like they so war thirsty. Um, you had to be on point. I party. I ha- had a ball, but I had to be on point. Um, we were good. I had I had a, mostly a good group of people, but again, it was hard to keep people. So they started giving us tankers. And to, these to guys were tankers for a reason. To work combo? So we got Yeah. Wow. So we had to coach them up. And and they, those are basically our grunts. You know, we need some cable aid, all the, the hard work. We was putting them on that. Like, because we don't have enough time. We uh because you know, come on, we do it, we do it all. They try to say, oh, you're a cable dog. Dude, we did everything. Everything. We were a, a, a utility MOS. This computer, that phone, that freaking TV, the microwave, we <laughs> the light. We 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 did it all. Satcom, cellular. We did all that stuff, man. And um with the with, with the little bit that we had, um, yeah, we worked. We definitely worked. Yeah. Now any deployments? Yes, uh, like uh, intrinsic, intrinsic action, Kuwait '98, um, <clears throat> and then we didn't go back to Kuwait until 2002, and uh, of course, right after that, St. Patrick's Day 2003, war started in Iraq. So, I got my taste of that. Um, that was something. That was definitely something. I actually have. A whole lot of pictures. This is kind of dark. We had a guy in our unit. um, He actually was able to keep a lot of pictures. All mine got blown up. Like, literally, my vehicle got blown up. But he had a whole bunch of pictures. I probably have, like, 800 pictures from over there. And he put them on a DVD and sent them out to, like, a bunch of them. And then briefly after that, he took himself out. So that was like his his last um, his last thing that he wanted to do before he left. Andrew something, Andrew. Oh, I should remember my man's name. But yeah, we um, I definitely got deployed. We, we definitely went. We um, uh, the plan was Fourth ID was supposed to come over there later, but the commanders didn't want to do that. They wanted to just run. And when I say we ran all the way up uh, Iraq, all the way to Baghdad, all the way to Fallujah, we outran our resources. So we didn't have, we was running out of ammo, running out of food, running out of water. They didn't care. They wanted to be the first commander to get to this certain spot. Because, you know, at officers, when they accomplish certain things, that's how they get their rank. Right. After what? After captain, you got to hold down certain end shops. You got to do an NTC uh, war, get you rank, and all this other stuff. So that's what was on their mind. So that is an experience unlike any other. Uh, I am a disabled veteran, seventy uh, percent, and that's um, and that's only from PTSD. I don't have a, I don't have a rating for anything else but that. Anything and, else uh, in your medical it, records? Huh? Anything else in your medical records? my back my ear they won't do nothing for it they won't do nothing for it um i've had so many different treatments uh medications prosthetics 
everything in the world except for that rating. They won't give you that rating for nothing. Well, so and hopefully in the next couple of months, we're gonna we're gonna talk about that. I'm gonna have um, somebody from one of the local organizations out here in Arizona um, talk about how veterans can can tie all those things together because it's like it's like a it's like a triangle. You got to have um, the injury, um, the information that showed that the injury occurred in service, and then the document that ties those two together. And it's it, it sounds like a lot of people are under the the misconception that the VA is going to deny you first. Um, once this guy explained everything to me. And as I as I refiled my claims or I filed appeals, I understood. I learned how to look at those those letters um, a little bit better. And because I mean, it's it's all in VA jargon. You can't understand if you. I mean, if you don't speak VA, then you you're not going to understand those letters. And I'm a, I'm going to get him on and have him talk in depth about you know what what veterans are doing wrong. Um, cause a lot of times it's, it's self-inflicted. They don't want to deny you. I mean, you, you get a slice of that pie. That's it's allocated to you. You served, you served honorably, you got your DD 214 and you got the injuries. That's, that's your money. It's allocated. Um, mm-hmm. so I, you know, like I said, I'll, I'll have him on to, to talk a little bit more in depth and hopefully he can help a bunch of people out. Cause I talk to soldiers constantly that have been out 10, 15, sometimes 20 years that have 10% for tinnitus. And these are infantry soldiers. That, and that's another one. Yeah, tinnitus is the other one, yeah. You know, that <clears throat> I know they've gone through some shit. Airborne, air assault. Um, you know, some of them even went through ranger school or failed out of ranger school due to injury. So it's documented. They just, you know, don't. They get frustrated with that first denial letter and they don't read it or they miss an appointment or they didn't respond with a document that the VA needed and they get a denial and then they get pissed and don't refile. You know? Yeah, you got to learn how to play the game. It does get frustrating and I get shitty with it and I just won't do nothing for a while. Uh-huh. Then I get focused and try it for a little bit. But you, that's why you got to find, if I can just find somebody, I guess, to do it for me the right people, I can give them all the information I have and then handle it from there. Well, stay it's, tuned. It, it's a, it, 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 is, it is a frustrating process. Uh, you just got to be willing to play the game. Yeah, well, stay tuned, and I'm going to have somebody on. I Also, I'll, I'll talk to you offline uh, once we get done here and just kind of get some info and see. Because there, there might be help out there for you today. So we'll, we'll chat a little bit after this. Um, and hopefully, you know, get, get that 70% bumped up to a hundred. Um, now after 2003, what'd you do? ETS? Yeah, I was, I had some growing up to do. Um, when, when you're under the umbrella of the army, you don't realize that you're protected from a lot of different things. So when you try to operate and do certain things a certain way, and you think everything's going to be all right, but you're you're really a civilian now. So um, I was getting in a little trouble here and there. I really was half-assed. I still was trying to party like I used to. Just immature. 
I really needed to grow up and shit started to go downhill. Um, I had an epiphany. Sometime later, like, yeah, I need to I need to tighten up. First off, I need to leave Georgia. And I did that. Um, I bounced around. I went from Georgia to Florida, Florida to Indiana, Indiana to West Virginia. And that went on for a few years. And once I started getting my thoughts together and my focus together, then when I did return to Georgia, I returned with a purpose and a plan. And I, and I actually accomplished those things. Um, I'm no longer at that point where certain things are so important. I got to go to the club. I got to do shopping. I got to hit this girl. All that stuff is no longer, it's not even close. I'm not even, if you saw past pictures of me, I look different. My whole thought process is, it changed so much that it manifested physically, literally. Um, I have no desire for that stuff, man. I'm just trying to get my foot in the door and be able to step in certain rooms that I can take off while I still have a little bit of my youth left and I, and I can still do some things. Um, I recently transitioned from corrections over to the Port Authority. Um, great job. I wish I had got it years ago. Um, uh, uh, a lot of things have changed with me. Uh, people think I'm still, oh, he's doing this and doing that. Like, you guys have no idea. Like, I stay out the way. All these parties and all this other stuff going on, I have I, I have no idea. I actually turned into a plant guy. Like, like seriously turned into a plant guy. Like, I like plants. Got the green thumb, huh? Okay. I see you. Never even, like, never in a million years, I think that'd be some shit I'd get into. Now I got a nickname Plant Daddy. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Start a YouTube so, channel. It's a whole world out there when it comes to that plant stuff. I've been thinking about it. I got to get my desk over here together. I got this little corner over here. I'm probably going to start doing some videos and different stuff over here. Uh, get my little background together. Once I get a new desk, because that old desk is, is handy. Yeah, do so, it, man. Yeah. I'm going to get my shit together. You know, when, when you get to, I, I, I feel you because the last six or seven months, I, you know, I've really, I've had, I've made a conscious effort to, to just focus on the things that I want to do. Cause I realized turning 45 this year that man, well, dude, there ain't a lot of time. You're flying. What? Oh, <laughs> yeah. Like, I had to put that on hold for a little bit though. But you still did that, like even though like I'm doing a little plant thing, that's cool and all, but you flying. Yeah, that's like, that's that's huge. I had to put that on hold, but I will be back in the air. Um, you know, I this this was a lot more important than uh, than doing that, but I will be back. <laughs> the plan, hopefully, is if I can if I can tie it all together and be able to fly out to you guys to sit I down was and record. Thinking that. Yeah, like literally. Uh, what you're doing now is big because I don't think I know anybody that I know from military wise is doing what you're doing right now. Um, you already have a clientele, a veteran. That's an automatic clientele, a veteran to a veteran. They're automatically going to be forward across the country. Yeah, you, across you know, the world. You don't have to limit yourself to just West Coast or whatever. It's guys that you've met literally around the planet. 
if you can connect with him, you can have all types of stories. You can, man, it's it it it, it might not be necessarily be a book book, but it can be it can definitely be some episodes. Yeah, part of the the big part um, of doing this was just what you just said. It's not, you know, I'm not just tied to the folks that are within my my orbit here. Um, I we have met people that we're gonna have lifelong friendships with that are all over the world. Um, And I love being able to go somewhere and know that, man, you know what? I could reach out to this person because I know they live in this city. And it's like, we, you know, we, we never lost touch. Right. Sit back and, and it's just, it's on and cracking again. Um, And being able to get our stories out there, you know, and reconnect be motivated about things and also get information out. That's going to, that's going to help people. That's going to help people in our shoes, in our community. Mm-hmm. Um, like, you know, your, your situation with your rating. Um, there's no reason for you to only be at 70% for PTSD when you have other issues that you've dealt with while you were in that's that seven years you were in. I worked in the VA call center and nothing hurt more than somebody calling in and their 85-year-old dad um, needed some sort of help. And they know that he was a, a veteran or, you know, was a service member. And they're looking for help. And they don't, they don't understand that the Department of Defense and the Department of Veterans Affairs are two separate entities that don't they, – they communicate but on a limited level. Um, mm-hmm. So they're just thinking, okay, well, he served. So since he or she served – they should be entitled to this. Well, yeah, but once they leave the Department of Defense, they have to go over to the Department of Veterans Affairs and initiate everything. They don't understand that that's a process. So now, you know, you fast forward, this person ain't served in 60 years and they're trying to make funeral arrangements or trying to put them in um, a nursing home situation, which they may have qualified for if they had started the VA process when they got out. Mm-hmm. Um, you know. Just because they don't have that information, uh, now I have to tell them that, I, you know, there's really nothing that this person is eligible for right now. So yeah, being able well. to to hit the airwaves and and just try to explain that and relieve some heartache, hopefully, for people that you know think you know if somebody gets cancer and they think, oh well, I served in the military, let me go over here and see this. Well, I mean, yeah, you served, but you didn't you didn't start the VA process prior to this, so the VA may not be able to help you right away. Um, so that's you know I just wanted to make sure that I'm not sitting back just complaining about stuff like that, and I'm actually trying to do my part to to get the info out there and make sure it's the right information. You might be stepping in at the right time because I know for like a number of years it was the end thing to do things for veterans, it's such a big deal, veteran this, a veteran that. But now that that trend has died, you really don't hear much about it no more. But there's still guys out there that really need help. <laughs> Point them in the right direction or just to help them out. There's some guys that genuinely need help. Because um, I know I mean, it, was, it was for a number of years. It was guys that they were getting out 100%. Like they, they had the information right in their hands. You know, we got out. It was a big mystery. We had no idea what was what. Everything I learned was like through word of mouth. 
Yeah. I didn't learn anything. Do you know how I got my claim started? I, I was seeing veteran Arizona veteran plates. I didn't know. I'm like, how the heck? So I just saw this uh, phone number, Arizona department of veteran services. And I called and I'm like, Hey, what do I got to do to get a um, veteran plate? I'm a veteran. And it was this old, old dude. He was like, uh, what's your VA disability percentage? I don't, I don't know what that is. So he asked me to come see him. He was like, come see me and bring your medical records and um, your two alpha and your two dash one with you. So I was like, okay. Drove down there. He looking through and he's like, all right, I'm going to help you. All I wanted to do was get a license plate. This dude, <laughs> he, he uh, types up a general power of attorney, had me sign it. They notarized it. And within probably eight or nine months, um, of going to, he was like, all I need you to do is when the VA sends you an appointment notification, go to that appointment. If, and he had all of my, all of the VA mail routed to his office. So I wouldn't, you know, miss a letter or not send a document back that they're, that they needed. He had, he just would call me and be like, Hey, you got to be here at this time. And I go. And it seven or eight months, I remember waking up. It was like the day before my, my birthday. Um, I'm trying to figure out, I wanted to go to Vegas bad for my birthday. And mm. I was going through a divorce. You know, I knew I wasn't going to have the kids that week. And they were actually out of town. And I'm like, man, you know, I'm got like, I got like $800 in my checking account right now. I can't go to Vegas with $800. I woke up that morning. And I look in my account, and I'm like, I got $75,000 in my account. What the hell? Yeah, I'm tripping. I'm like, something ain't right. I transfer 70 of it over to savings, and I'm going to leave the rest in this checking account in case they made a mistake. And I'm going to go have some fun. <laughs> and my, mine was, mine was uh, I didn't know about the, uh, you had a guy that had your back on that one. My 70%, we actually saw that 50%, I did it by myself. So when I made the claim, the first claim was, uh, I started it in uh, uh, West Virginia, Clarksburg, West Virginia. I had to get on the Homeless Veterans Program. And that's when I started learning other stuff. And I started to try to do a claim. Now, fast forward into Georgia, 2012, I was still trying on and off. They was denying me and I come back and try unbeknownst to me is I was supposed to, when they deny you, you're supposed to do the, um, I forgot the name of it. You amended or something like that. I was basically restarting my, my claim. Oh, you didn't file an appeal right away or, um, the appeal. Yeah. yeah. So if I had filed the appeal, we talking from 2007 to 2000, the end of 2012, I would have had that much money. Yeah. I had only got like $8,000 cause it was for a year back. Now we counting another what six more years back? Yeah, I, 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 but I never knew nothing about it. I had no, I didn't know that was a question to be asked. So, and and again, I had a. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no, no. Go ahead. Go ahead. You good? No, I was gonna say again that that is a massive reason why I wanted to do this, and it transitioned. Initially, it was just you know what I miss my friends that I served with. Um, I just want to be able to talk to them. And then I realized how much misinformation 
and disinformation or a lack of information um, is out there that, you know, veterans don't know where to go. And I remember being in that position. Um, but for that very reason, you know, you missed out on a key p- portion of your benefit because mm-hmm. you didn't have anybody in your corner or anybody that could provide you with the right information. Um, and, and again, that's why I'm doing this. And hopefully with the network of folks that I know, um, especially my friends, you guys can in turn go. And if you see a, another veteran going through that same process, Hey, look, this is what you need to do, man. Take my number. Let me, uh, you know, let me give you a hand to, so you don't make the same mistake that I did. Right. Right. And that's, and that's really how it's been working, man. It's each one teach one. Yeah. We don't, it, it's hard for us to just, oh, I'm just going to go online and figure it out. Man, I, like you said earlier, the doggone VA jargon, you, you, your eyes are crossed, your brain is spinning. It's like, it's too much. So it gives you a chance to focus in. And, you know, the next guy who's a pro at it, you know, they, they can point you in the right direction or just straight out help you out. Yeah. And get you through it. It's, uh, yeah, we're and definitely then, entitled to it. And that, that's money for life. There's something wrong with us. Yeah. You don't come out the military regular, especially especially if you want the war. And it and it depends on where you want the basic training. Hell, what? I remember how basic training had started. We were sitting on those bleachers, and they're standing there talking to us. And you had the uh, they didn't have a tank. It was because uh, this guy's artillery. You had oh, the, the MLRS, the two main guns. Yeah, yeah. So they're talking to us the whole time, and it and they're shooting them damn things. We like a. 50 feet from them. Yeah. So, you know, if you've never experienced that before, you know, that's crazy. The concussion from, 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 from getting that, you know, uh, so, and then, the, then going through war and the things that you've seen, you know, I came up in the hood. I've seen, you know, the boy said niggas die every day. Dude. <laughs> you know, it's not new, but you've never seen an idiot on a bicycle with an AK-47 run up on a tank and get ran the fuck over. Right. So, you know, that's a little piece of what, what we saw. You know, you firsthand, like you're seeing this. It's not a movie. You don't come out the same person. No. And it's not something and, that you expect. You know what I mean? Like, in the hood, you know, this is, I, I grew up in this. This dude put himself in that position. It, it You know, that's what happens. But when we joined, we weren't thinking like, all right, I'm about to be in the middle of Fallujah and just watch an entire house <laughs> just get hit with a with a rocket from a an Apache and mm-hmm. you know, people running out on fire. You don't I'm not I don't see that in the in the ghetto. No. And it's just something that you don't, you know, you you won't ever forget. But yeah, it's it's why I stress that, you know, I, I talk to veterans a lot that are like, well, you know, um, I'm, I'm fine. I didn't do nothing happened to me. And then you fast forward 20 years down the road and their family notices that something happened or they they contract some mysterious illness that might be due to their time in service. But, you know, you waited too long. You were fine then. That's what I always say. I don't. I don't give a damn if if you feel like you you came out unscathed. Something happened. Go look through your medical records. 
because I promise mm-hmm. you that at some point this will come back and you know, you, you either get it taken care of or now you're struggling trying to get benefits that you were entitled to, but you, you just wasted time and, and didn't yeah. apply for it. Medication time ain't cheap. Time is the VA's ally. They will use that against you so quick. And then you have you second guessing yourself like, damn, did, did this really happen to me? <laughs> they'll, uh, they'll play you with it. Yeah. Definitely. Um, but I mean, I, like I said, I'll, I'll, I'll make sure I get you some info. Um, so you can, hopefully it'll relieve the frustration and you can get back in there, you know, get what you, what you've earned and, um, you know, live, it, it sounds like you're doing great. Live the, a good life from here on out, hopefully to 90 or a hundred. Yeah, that'd definitely be next level. I'm chilling, man. My life is all right. I ain't balling or nothing. I'm straight. I'm a big head daughter stays with me. She's 20 now. Not the first one. Okay. That's another story. <laughs> no, this okay. I, it's, it's best to have them close to you. I've learned that over the last yeah. few years that um, I would much rather have the kids with me than out there struggling, dealing with, you know, all this nonsense, being influenced by weird people, telling them all kinds of craziness. But yeah. um, Tony, man, it, it, this has been great. Hopefully I can get out to Savannah. I've already talked to a couple of guys that I was um, at Hunter Army Airfield with to mm-hmm. link up and I can get back. Are you in Savannah or are you in Hinesville? Or you're in I'm Brunswick? In you're in I'm Hinesville? Hinesville, but I work in Savannah. Okay. Yeah, and I will I I will make sure that uh I link up with you when I come out there. I don't know when it's gonna be, but I will be out there. But okay. um, thanks for doing this, man. And uh we we for sure will do it again, hopefully with an update on your increased percentage rating. Definitely an experience. <laughs> Might be literally it's literally my first podcast. Well so. it won't be the last, I promise you that. All right, I appreciate it, man.